load was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. This is the word of the Lord. Well, all right. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Have you guys ever thought to yourself, things are just not as good as they were back in the day? Have you, have, you, have you said to yourself or out loud, they sure don't make them like they used to, right? Right, we say that. I was thinking of examples. I mean, antique furniture, anybody fans of antique furniture? Like, it's solid wood, right? <laughs> they don't make that anymore. It's like Ikea fabric particle board. I don't know, these little, little dowels, you know, when you're trying to... Um, you know, it's furniture. They just don't make it like they used to. It's just not as good. I was thinking about uh, classic cars. Anybody like old car people? Some car buffs out there? I mean, just literally the front of the car used to have this big metal structure in front of it. Chrome, hard, heavy metal that protected you from hitting other things. A bumper, you know, like a bumper that was made front and back uh, for hitting things. And Nowadays, I don't know if you've ever been brave enough to reach down to kind of touch whatever that bumper thing is, but it's like a plastic water bottle wrapped around <laughs> your car. Like, it's nothing there. It's just the weakest, flimsiest thing. Um, and maybe it's something deeper, though, as you think about what's gone and what's in the past. I was thinking about even my, my devotional life or the way I used to hang out with God back in my college days when I had all this time on my hands. Our college that, that my wife and I went to, was, uh, we met there, it was in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And, and it was this little Christian college there that, um, you know, I would have all this time to wander, literally wander in the woods and write songs, you know, and just journal and just pray and like just, just hours and hours of free time to just hang out and do whatever I wanted. And those days are over, you know, those are <laughs> long gone uh, now in the commotion and the busyness of life. Um, so so this, this passage that we're looking at in Ezra captures a little bit of this feeling of, of disappointment, a feeling of things being better in the past. It, it, it's a snapshot of the people of God and this passage highlights a real sense of grief in some. And it's a kind of grief that keeps them from experiencing God's new work. It, it blinds them from the good thing that God is doing right in front of them. Grief is something that we can all relate to. And our passage in Ezra today frames it in a unique way. You know, I'm grateful for our Memorial Day highlight in that video this morning the example of chaplains, they model so well what it means to come alongside and help those who are grieving. You know, so many of us, naturally, we kind of run from grief or we, we deflect it, you know, and we see it in others or we bury it deep in ourselves. Sometimes when we're trying to help, we say the wrong things. It just doesn't come out right. Uh, and yet chaplains are, are trained who run right at it and are equipped to care and walk with people in the, in the most difficult seasons of life. 
You know, as we've been going through the Bible as a church this year, it's been interesting following the twists and turns, right, of God's people, all the characters that kind of show up on the scene. And I'm still marveling at the mystery of God who is still in control of all the pieces and all the parts. You know, it seems that God often uses the old to create the new. And because he is good and his love is forever, we can embrace the future, even when we sometimes mourn the past. And we're going to see that played out here in Ezra 3 in the way that God brings a new beginning for his people in worship and how even though new beginnings bring goodbyes and some experience that with grief, God's new beginnings ultimately bring hope. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Ezra 3. We heard it read. It's uh, verses 10 through 13. And um, you might pull it up on your, your Bible app or follow along that way. And I want to set up the context a bit for this scene so you can kind of understand what's going on and a little bit of the larger narrative around this picture. So the the Hebrew people, God's people, they've been worshiping God in that grand, lavish temple that we've been hearing about in the last few weeks. Solomon's temple, this architectural wonder. And, and all the people that are worshiping God, right? And they're, they're, um, they're learning the ways to worship God. And, and uh, there's the kings and different people. And, and yet they're centrally located in Jerusalem in this, this grand temple. Well, this scene that we find ourselves in here in Ezra 3, this is a few years later, and the people of God have been taken over by enemy kingdoms, and they've been oppressed and exiled and kicked out all sorts of places, turned into slaves and places, and, and, uh, and, they're just, and their city, Jerusalem, they've been kicked out of that place, and that grand, lavish, amazing temple has been totally, utterly destroyed. It's just looted, it's burned to the ground, it's gone. And, and there's no central place for God's people to worship. They're just spread out all over the place. You know, it's kind of like for, for you Star Wars fans, um, it'd be kind of like the evil empire is winning right here at this point. You know, the evil empire is in control. And those scrappy rebels, um, they're just trying to hang on to hope. You know, they're just trying to, but a new hope is coming. Um, all right, all right. So, and, and here's how it comes. I, I want to read just real, a little bit early, Ezra 1, because here's how it comes. In such an incredible way, God's spirit intervenes on the controlling, ruling dictator, this evil king at the time. God moves on his heart, like, like influences his heart with this supernatural way to change his mind. And the king does this speech, out of the blue, declares a new rule. And I want to read uh, just how this rule sort of sounds from Ezra 1 verse 2, a little bit earlier. Uh, but here's, here's how it says, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia. This is this this evil dictator, Cyrus. The Lord, the God of heaven, this is the king talking, who didn't believe in God, who was oppressing God's people. But all of a sudden he says, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Like what? What an incredible change of heart and, and change of mind of this, this king. It would be kind of like if like king, Kim Jong-un, you know, were, were to say, um, you know what? The whole North and South Korea thing, uh, I'm not into that border anymore. Let's just like take down the fencing and the walls and stuff and let all the military guys go on a giant long vacation. And also, let's just invite the Christians up here to missionaries to plant churches. You know, I would just like... 
that to happen right away. You know, this just seems so amazing. And it's incredible that nothing is impossible for God. God truly intervenes in this miraculous way, changes this king's heart. And so sure enough, all God's people they're excited. They're thankful. And so they get, to, they get to go. They get to go back to Jerusalem. And they get to reestablish their towns and organize themselves and communities again. And then they begin to offer the traditional sacrifices of worship to God after they kind of set up this foundation of the new temple that they're going to build. And they get to follow some of the writings that they have about their way of their, that they're going to worship from King David. Um, so... And, and this is how we, we got to read that verses 10 and 11. This is the picture of that worship, that worship ceremony that happens. And so starting in verse 10, uh, just, just to kind of flesh it out again for us. So all the people are gathering and, and here's what happens. So when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they're kind of this new temple, they're building it. The priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. So it's this grand worship celebration. They're, they're coming all out and they're sort of gathering the things they have in front of them and creating this worship expression uh, with, with joy and with hope. And, and I know some of us in here, we can relate to the, the feeling of being early adopters. Maybe you're okay with change and, and you're okay with kind of jumping into the, to the new thing as it happens. And yet some of us are more traditionalists and we need both kinds of people in our community. You know, the people are confident that this new thing is from God because of the way that he divinely intervened on the heart of that king to bring it about and because God's laws and general worship directions are preserved. They get to read the writings of King David and follow and make their worship service around that. You know, the Old Testament, we've been reading about the, the worship of God and the way God instructs his people to worship. And he's very specific about certain ways that people are to worship in the temple. In fact, a couple of times some priests are killed because if they, they don't obey the order correctly or God sees the heart of what's happening and he's very passionate about how his people worship. And yet in this setting, God allows this new worship expression to happen. He, he welcomes it. He blesses it. Zechariah 4.10 says, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. And I think that's a bit of God's heart here in this setting. He is rejoicing to see this work. The people are grateful to God and the good that they're experiencing and they respond with authentic, heartfelt worship and obedience. The best they know how. I mean, what a great challenge right off the top that is for us. When God sets up moments for us to worship, to be grateful, do we lean in? When he intervenes miraculously in our lives, can we notice the good things that God does and respond accordingly? When God reveals himself in big and small ways, how do you take the time to, to recognize him, to give credit where credit's due? Now, God provides this new opportunity to worship, but not all the people are 100% on board. There's, and this is where this worship celebration takes on a, a different layer, a complication, a deeper drama that's, that's unfolding underneath. So that's where we find verses 11 and 12. Uh, so all the people are worshiping, they're all gathering and, and they've got this 
this sort of rough foundation laid out of the temple and they're going through the, the service. And so verses 11 says, and all the people shouted with a great shout. And they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was being laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. So what, what's happening is that there's a group of people who had seen the first temple, the extravagant, beautiful temple of Solomon. You know, they were, they were young adults at that time and, and they got to worship and, and it was awesome back then. And, and now they're starting to see this foundation kind of unfolding in front of them and they can tell they can just tell right away it is not as good as back in the day. It is just not measuring up. And, and their grief is, is justified. They, they can see that it's not going to compare with what it was before. The glory days are truly behind them. And these seasoned saints, they had a, a grief that was real. It was justified and, and understandable. I mean, they had been torn from their previous worship experience. Back in the day, they, they had gotten ripped away from that through exile and the oppression of these, these, these kings and, and rival nations. And they've been, they've been drugged all around for about 50 years at this point through, through exile and through wandering and displacement. And so now they've been drugged back to Jerusalem like, hey, everything's gonna be awesome. We're gonna go back and worship. And so they, they're kind of like, okay, here we are. And they get back there and they're like, oh, for this, you know, it's just, it's just not quite what it was. And, and maybe you can relate to that feeling. You know, in our worship and church experiences, there can be reasons to mourn. Maybe the church you came from before here, maybe it was bigger or fancier or they had more smoke machines or the lights were more, more, more cool. Or, or maybe, uh, maybe you had a group, a friend group, a small group, a, a community that was really important to you. And those relationships were, were formative and special for you in your life. You know, in the worship styles, that, there's a difference between preference and conviction. And although your specific preference may not always be presented. You can have confidence that our convictions as a church will never change. We're committed to worshiping God authentically, humbling ourselves in confession, to thanking and praising God for his mercy and grace, orienting around the gospel, and hearing and responding to God's word. Those are some of the core convictions that hold us together as a church. And they rise above any sense of style or, or, or uh, you know, specifics. And, and, and they, they uh, will never, ever change. But for us, mourning and sorrow can be felt in all sorts of areas. You know, we mourn the past in community, but we also often mourn the past in our families or personal lives. You know, family life, it has so many seasons, doesn't it? So many opportunities as times change to look back, maybe with fondness or even a longing to what was. You know, I remember as a, as, as a young parent, my kids were young and they're grown now, 22 to 16, they're off in college and, and uh, getting ready to almost all be out of the house. When they were young, very young, we had this community neighborhood pool that we would always hang out at, Hailcrest Pool. And I remember, you know, spending these, maybe because the summer's coming up, I'm thinking about this, these summers at the pool, all four kids swimming around in the pool. And as parents, you'd line up your chairs around the edge, you know, and you'd be there to sort of supervise 
Levi's and, um, and, and my kids, they wanted to do tricks all the time in the pool, you know, handstands, somersaults, tricks off the diving board. They're performers, <laughs> strangely, and they, they wanted, you know, applause and all that. And um, so they would be like, dad, did you see that? Did you see that? And so rather than sort of shouting across the pool deck, like, yeah, awesome, sweet, like every 45 seconds, you know, like, awesome, awesome. I kind of developed a little more socially acceptable, like, <laughs> just kind of a quiet, like, thumbs up, like, good job, you know? And so, so they would do their trick, and they'd swim up on the side of the pool and lift their heads up over and say, Dad, did you see that? And would be like, and they would smile really big and then swim away and do their next trick. And they'd swim back up. Dad, did you see that? Oh, cool. Good. You know, and I did this so many times all day long. And I feel so bad about thinking that I was actually like kind of begrudging that like I was so tired. It's like this is exhausting doing this thumbs up. <laughs> all day long, you know. And now I look back on that moment, those times, and I think, oh, I long for those days, how simple it was and how pure that they wanted my approval, you know, and (laughs) that this was meaningful to them, you know. Oh, I long for those days, you know, or maybe like my, my, I mentioned my Bible college, this little Christian college in the Santa Cruz mountains. My wife and I met there and our very first dates were there at the, the college. And we, uh, last week we celebrated our 26th wedding anniversary. Um, so yeah. And so I remember those, yeah, that's, I remember those days and, and uh, there were some special days at the college. It's sad to say that after 95 years, Bethany college closed. The college just shut down, financial issues, whatever. And so it's gone now. And that whole place got turned, bought out by Silicon Tech people. And it's turned into a crystal, like, a, you know, meditation retreat or whatever. So um, it's, it's all, it's gone. Um, but the, like, and I can't go back to those places where we used to have those first dates and those special moments. I remember there was a little path around the college called the Bethany Loop. It was like a, like a little road ran around the back. And, uh, and it was kind of like funny, but if you, if you walked around that loop with a person of the opposite gender, by the time you sort of ended at the end, you were pretty much engaged. <laughs> Just kind of how Bible college was back in the day. So... That's special. Those are special places. Um, And those places will never be there again for us to experience in that same way. But it doesn't mean we don't ever date anymore or like, well, I'm done with dating now because, you know, we can't go back and recreate the special things that we used to, you know, it's like, no, we got to embrace the future together. And we all have to do that in our lives. Maybe it's not about family development or your kids growing. Maybe there's a grief that you're experiencing about about not having children or the, the loss of, of what infertility brings or um, maybe the, the loss of a loved one, the death of someone close that leaves that, that hole there. Maybe it's the experience of divorce or a breakdown of relationship from the past. Not saying goodbye, you know, not grieving these things appropriately, it blinds us to what's ahead. And I think that's a bit of what these elders in this passage are experiencing. They're, they're missing out on the new thing God is doing right in front of them because they're stuck in the past. They're unable to embrace the future. It says they are weeping and it's like their tears are literally blinding them to the worship experience that God is orchestrating right in front of them. 
Charles Dickens's classic novel, you literature people out there, uh, Great Expectations. There, there's this tragic story of a woman, Miss Havisham. She was jilted on her wedding day. She got a letter from the groom. He's not coming. Wedding's off. And unable to move on from that event. She spends the rest of her life enclosed in her house. Uh, it will not leave uh, the house, leaves the same wedding dress on from that day and, and through the decades. Uh, it will not change anything in that, leaves the clocks at 20 to 9, freezes them at that moment when she received that fateful letter. In fact, leaves the cake and the wedding cake and the feast all there still on the table to rot and mold over the years and to be ravaged by rats and mice and... <laughs> it's, it's a vivid picture of what our souls can be like when we hold too tightly to the past. It's hard to lose these things in life, but we need to learn to grieve well, to accept the necessary goodbyes. You know, if you're in a season like that, I want to encourage you about this resource. Of course, the Stephen Ministry here at Grace, we talk about it all the time, but volunteers who have the time, the capacity, who are trained to walk alongside you in seasons of, of grief and sorrow and, and, and help you process and talk about that. And so I want to encourage you to, to reach out in that way. You know, in this coming Saturday, we're having our day away retreat, uh, several hours at the park to be alone with God, to connect with others, but to have good space to, to hear from God and, and his voice, not just these sort of popcorn emergency prayers that we do in our lives, you know, where we're like, Lord, help me. And then we're like, back to the carpool grind, you know, and we, that's just sort of our experience. So this day away is a chance for us to really like receive God's care, his voice, his encouragement right in the deepest places of our lives. Though secure in God, we all long for our true home. We endure these days with a holy discontentment. We know down deep that things are not quite as they should be. And yet God invites us to embrace the future, to trust him with what's to come. And how do we do that? We do that because God is good, he is faithful, and he loves us. And this is where the hope comes from. The last part of this passage is, is uh, verses, a little bit of 12 and 13. And, then, and I want to just read us this last portion one more time. So, so these, this worship service is happening. This group of seasoned saints there, they, 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 they're they see what is happening in front of them. They realize it's not as good. There's, there's a level, a layer of sorrow there. It says, but though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout and the sound was heard far away. So it seems that even though there is this group of folks who are disappointed. The majority of the congregation is filled with, with joy, with hope, with anticipation for the building of this new temple, right? They don't have a reference point. They didn't see the old temple. They don't even know what it looked like. They just see the thing in front of them and they think, awesome, this looks great. This is going to be incredible. What a good thing God's doing. And, and, and so they, they, they kind of carry the day. Here's a trick question for you guys right now. The sermon title, right? It's, uh, it's called Ezra, the new beginning, and we're in the book of Ezra. And you might be wondering, where's Ezra? You know, like, is he going to come out some point or do you get to him in this talk? Um, 
So let me, let me say this. It's kind of cool. He's in the congregation, you know, that is part of this new group, this new community that's worshiping. He's the next generation. He's an emerging leader uh, here in this community. He's inspired by this group, this worshiping group that's singing, is joyful, who's embracing this new thing. He's the next one coming up. And in subsequent chapters in the book of Ezra, you get to hear his story and how he continues to shape God's people and teach them and grow them in the ways that we worship in powerful ways. Ezra and his friends, they didn't have any reference point to what was. They simply were there uh, and they embraced the future. And it seems that their shouts of joy really did kind of rise above it all. The worship of God brings hope and this hope triumphs over sorrow. But sorrow is real for many of us. And God welcomes us to bring him all of our emotions, all of our heart in worship, not just the good parts. You know, we all have places in our lives where we mourn the past and yet need to embrace the future. The mixture of sorrow and joy here, it's a representation of this world, isn't it? How incredible it is when we take those opportunities to celebrate with those who celebrate and to mourn with those who mourn. We hold both experiences in tension. They're both part of our lives. And Jesus serves as an example of this truth. We see him grieving over a people that rejected him as he weeps over Jerusalem, it says in scripture. Jesus says, oh, Jerusalem, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. Do you hear the longing in his voice? There's grief or sorrow disappointment. And yet Jesus looks toward the future. And Romans 12 too, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The grief and the sorrow and the joy and the hope, both experiences intention. Jesus is the greatest new beginning. God brought a new beginning in Jesus, didn't he? God provided a way, a miraculous way for his people to worship him. And he intervened in human history, just like he did at the beginning of this story this morning, uh, but this time with the sending of his son. And get this, some missed it. The Pharisees, religious leaders, they, they, they were unable to accept this new thing their grief and sorrow that Jesus wasn't what they expected. It blinded them to who Jesus was and how God's plan would unfold. They couldn't say goodbye to their preconceived notions and embrace what God was doing. The one who truly triumphed over all, who takes our past and redeems it for something new every single time is Jesus. Jesus is famous for embodying hope and he transcends all places, all spaces, all worship styles. In fact, speaking about temples being torn down and rebuilt, Jesus takes the whole concept a bit further when he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up, which of course utterly confused the listeners at the time. And so John explains that Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. Jesus, the new temple. Jesus, the better temple. One that will never get demolished and need to be rebuilt, a temple that will last forever. Where can you turn in hope for the future? Even when you experience grief over the past, you can turn to Jesus 
our living hope, as we sang about this morning. And furthermore, Jesus points us to our eternal hope, to heaven. And I want to read for us just one more quick couple of verses from Revelation 21, because it paints a picture of the future to come. And it's described like this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Can you embrace God's new thing in your life today? You know, the band's going to come back up again in a moment and, and close with a song. And I want to say that this song that we do at the end of our services often is not a time filler or a transition piece. Like it's a time for us to respond to God, to really to bring our hearts to him and worship. Just like those people in this story had this opportunity to worship. Here we are now. So let's give God a chance to let's bring him our whole selves today. Let's take advantage of this time. My heart is for you is that, that you'll learn to trust Jesus as your hope in deeper ways than ever before. That you'll own your disappointments and grief and not try to hide them or pretend they don't exist, but to bring them out into the light, into God's hands and to trust him enough for that. As a church, we have an invitation to trust God with the new things that he's doing in and through us and around us. You know, we have a choice to celebrate fresh expressions that we see where, where of worship where God is, is in the center and that, that people are drawn to Jesus. In fact, we're going to have a crop of young summer interns this summer hanging out here at Grace. And, and they're going to be trying new things as leaders here. And we have a chance. This is another chance for us to be encouraging, to be open and supportive of the next generation, the next Ezra's in our midst that will carry the torch for us. So let's turn to Jesus, to our hope. Let's do it together. Let's place our future in his hands. Would you pray with me? Lord, may we see with new eyes what you are doing. God, give us the courage to face our grief, to own our sorrow and say our goodbyes as we surrender to you, releasing our pain and receiving your hope. And may we receive your words now through the prophet Isaiah. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. So God, may we not be blinded to the new thing that you're doing in front of us. Lord, make a way for us. Lead us to streams of living water and a real living hope in you. Let's sing together.
close our time together, I'd like to read for us this last portion of Revelation that paints a picture again for us of our future to come. Also let you know there's prayer volunteers here available to pray with you if you'd like prayer this morning. So here it is from Revelation 7. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.